Hi and welcome to Compliance Bytes for another exciting episode. This time we're welcoming Mark Shaw, who's a partner of the law firm in Luxembourg, Wilgin, in the financial practice and also head of the London office. Mark is particularly interesting because he's had 20 years in the industry, both as a practicing lawyer, but also prior to that as an in-house lawyer in the rather famous asset manager, Chenavari. Mark is also qualified in Ireland, England and Luxembourg, although he currently practices Luxembourg law only. So I'm delighted to have you, Mark, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Jerome. That's a very kind introduction. <laughs> um, I think the topics we're going to cover today in terms of uh, overall regulations are Brexit and market trends. Starting with Brexit, subject's a bit old and stale, but clearly the impact is now. Most of what we think is relevant to the asset management uh, industry is around the sale of products and distribution. Mm -hmm. What have you seen now that we're in this you know, new year, four months in, that tells you that things are working out or not? Yes, yeah, so I, th I think that's a very interesting question. Um, obviously, we had, you know, we had our uh, our Brexit deal on Christmas Eve, but it didn't include financial services, um, and so we're in quite an interesting time. I mean, you know, for the last sort of few years since I've been looking at this, we've always legislated for a no deal outcome anyway. Um, but now we're in this slightly strange space, and I think you're right that distribution is key. And now we have this period between now and, say, for example, the 3rd of August when the cross-border distribution directive comes in, that we, we're we sort of, we're sat in this old world, no deal Brexit distribution model. Um, so it is, it is, it is interesting. I mean, what we see, you know, everyone who comes to me is, is potentially looking at a, a Luxembourg vehicle, which means they want to uh, access uh, generally speaking, access you know European capital. Or it might be that they just want. Uh, there are other reasons why they're structuring Luxembourg for tax treaty benefits or whatever. Um, so, certainly, distribution is key. It's certainly challenging. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things when when you look at the the environment into which people are distributing, having having a vehicle that is essentially optimized is going to make your life a lot easier um but what people don't like is obviously is that there is a price to pay um so you know we still we still we still see ourselves competing with channel islands or cayman or wherever it may be um and they're different you know you're looking at different products i guess so so that's kind of where we are at the moment so people come in i think we see prospects looking at Luxembourg or EU onshore next to an offshore jurisdiction at the same time and weigh up whether or not the additional cost and complexity is worthwhile for the additional market access. And the most difficult thing surely is is not just structural, but having the staff locally and having sufficient staff at sufficiently high levels to obtain authorization. And that's very, very costly, but also complex. It is, yeah, it is. I mean, typically what we see is people using an outsourced model. Um, we see, it's, it's a good point actually, because where we see safe sub-threshold managers, 
Um, clearly, they need to, you know, they'll need to register their GP as a subthreshold AFM, etc., which means that there are local substance requirements that they would need to satisfy themselves. Um, and given that issue, as you mentioned, Jerome, as a consequence, it's, it's often easier for them to almost pay it away um, and, and, you know, achieve the same outcome or actually a more optimal outcome for distribution purposes if they actually just go for a sort of you know essentially opt up to the full scope of ai fmd with an outsourced model yeah i mean have you also because before people take that step have you also seen people looking at other steps where they might have solicited your advice where they might work with a few of the companies that decided to set up in the eu um as a bridge or actually have been around in the EU, maybe on the MIFID licenses as a bridge for firms in the UK and beyond to use them um, and perhaps even share staff with them or use the secondment model, for example, where the staff is locally employed on an interim basis. Yeah, we, we, are, seeing, we are seeing a bit of that. And I think what's happening is that the market is sort of grinding into action. Um, I mean, the traditional you know, sort of traditional distribution model was was typically sort of, you know, which we still see is this sort of heavier use of sort of third party placement agents, et cetera. Um, and I should say that, you know, the caveat to all of this is, of course, is that it's a very large ecosystem. So there are managers at all ends of the spectrum. So it could be, you know, there are larger sort of institutional international networks that will, that might have their own sort of internal secondment model. Um, and then at the other end, you get a sort of, you know, smaller sort of one, two person operation. And then what we typically see sort of the sort of large in, in terms of number sort of hover around the middle. So so this idea that, you know, the this idea that you can sort of essentially outsource, whether it be, you know, whether you utilize this comment approach um, for some of your sort of salespeople uh, in, in the EU onshore jurisdiction or whether they you know, whether you just sort of pay it away to a third-party placement agent. We, we're seeing all approaches. I guess my, my point on the, the secondment model is it's still quite an immature market, and none of it's been thoroughly tested from a regulatory perspective yet. So there's a little bit of finger in the air. Yeah, and I also understand there are other issues like uh, social security, uh, potential tax consequences uh, as well in relation to a person I guess working in two jurisdictions at the same time, and I think continental jurisdictions are much more complex in a way when it comes to employment law. It's super. It's super complex. So yeah, it, it is. It's um, yeah. It's it's it's, it's a very good point um, because what you're doing is uh, you know this whole idea of having to have a you know sort of MIFID a, a, a EU onshore MIFID license, which you may not have if you're for example a UK firm. What you risk doing is substituting one problem for another, as you say. So you you, you um, essentially insure against your regulatory risk, but then introduce this tax risk, as you say, for the individuals. Um, so it's a bit, and of course, the, the issue with salespeople is, of course, is that there's potentially quite a lot of compensation at stake as well. Um, so that is a that is certainly a, a challenge. And of course, the legal answer to that is a multi-jurisdictional one as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a fair one. Um, and part of me wonders whether, and, you know, I've, you, I know that you and I have sort of joked about this before, you know, the issue, the issue with sort of market access in Europe is, is nothing new. 
So, you know, as a, as a British person who's been heavily involved in MIFID, <laughs> thanklessly, um, we agonise over MIFID. Um, but actually, the European sort of EU <laughs> don't really bother, aren't that bothered about it as much. You know, there are, there's still a bit of confusion about um, marketing activities that fall under MIFID as, a, as opposed to AIFMD. Um, and it is very much a sort of, it feels like a, a very much a sort of British neurosis. Um, because, of course, this is no different to anything that US managers have been doing over the years. And to be fair, where you have US managers, they're typically more heavily reliant on placement agents. So it's fine. Um, assuming they have their own yeah. authority, of course. Um, but of course, the other thing is looking forward, what, what helps to sort of fix this is is the cross-border distribution directive and it gives you you know it does give a bit of a sort of safe harbor uh assuming it's it's deployed effectively um and i think most of the time you know i mean and again you know we've talked about this in the past there's that classic point that if you are just selling one fund and you're going out into the market um something under the cross-border distribution directive and an aifmd marketing passport would cover you because, of course, all you're literally doing is distributing one fund. But I think we all know that the reality of, of these conversations is that you might go and talk to a, a large investor and say, well, here's our fund. Um, but they say, well, actually, we're going to invest X. So we'd quite like a managed account, thank you very much, because we want X fee rate or Y service providers. Well, that's a MIFID activity because, of course, running a managed account is a MIFID activity. So you're immediately tripping that up. Or it would be, well, we've got fund A and fund B, and given your um, objectives, fund B is probably better. Again, there's advice, so that's MIFID activity. So <clears throat> it's it's a funny one. You know, so the cross-border distribution directive doesn't won't really help things. It just fixes some of the uncertainty around the fact that, you know, AI, AI FMD and its whole sense didn't really have a concept of pre-marketing. But, but of course, the, the reality with all of this is there isn't a, you know, I, I sort of joke, there isn't, a, there isn't a sort of fund distribution police force roaming the EU and looking to trip people up. Um, you know, managers need to take a view on, on each case and the merits of each sort of, I guess, distribution opportunity versus the challenge and the cost associated with it. Um, you know, obviously, we can't, you know, we would never advise people to just wing it. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, we wouldn't advise people to rely on reverse listation um, purely as a as a distribution method because yeah. it's, it's you know that's that's frankly outdated and dicey. But we know that people still do. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting, and I think uh, again, people still do, and people still, as you said, you know, come into the EU and 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 distribute whether that's from Asia or from America, and have done for years um, without any uh, consequences. I guess the only consequences in all of this is if your fund starts losing money and then somebody can claim that money back uh, because there would be a mis-selling issue or in the reverse solicitation uh, potential. Um, that's actually, you know, that's actually what the law says. If somebody can get, can claim back uh, what they've lost because it's also mis-selling. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think the greater risk is clearly in the more in the regulated space. You know, so for use it, you know, I think clearly you should always be whiter than white. Um, I think with alternatives, you know, there's a little bit of latitude because frankly, um, you know, the point at which someone's selling you for distribution, you're probably terminal anyway. 
Um, so it's the least of your worries, frankly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, from a legal perspective, if I had a, a disgruntled investor, one of the first things I would think of from a litigation perspective is, right, did they, you know, let's have a look, how can we get them? You know, was this, yeah. <laughs> was this Miss Salty, et cetera? So, um, yeah, and it's, and it's absolutely the right way. But, uh, you know, all of these things are, are points that are essentially after the event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and so you were t- touching on the fact that, you know, you've seen demand for European-based products alongside maybe historically, uh, you know, non-EU-based products. Um, when you mentioned that, that clearly gives you some access. Again, you touched on the AIFMD giving you that access, and that that's fine. Um, have you seen people, or have you heard of people just relocating entirely? Because... I guess the English market is still one of the leading investor market. The EU is a big market. The massive one is America. You're based in the London office. I presume some clients or some prospects have discussed that with you. Have you seen people just literally moving out? Because really for them, um, I guess the EU is sacrosanct. Some, um, I, I think almost, you know, I think there have been sort of multiple waves of movements. I think when... Brexit first occurred. I mean, crikey, you know, sort of, that was well, five years ago now, crikey. You know, there was a, a sort of first wave. Um, and and then we've certainly seen, you know, there were certainly whiffs of a second wave. And I, you know, anecdotally, I know a lot of people over here who were sort of essentially put on standby, um, certainly in sort of banks for moving, moving over or people wearing two hats. Um, in terms of movement, yeah, I, now smatterings um you know i think the fact that you can outsource fairly effectively means that there is not necessarily an immediate need again it depends on the nature of the asset manager and where you where you have a you know where you have a sort of larger sort of you know sort of more sort of institutional sort of um high street name type manager they tend to deal with more matters in-house so as a consequence they've you know they've moved more people or hired more people locally. I mean, one of the challenges in Luxembourg is, frankly, is that it's an incredibly, incredibly competitive market. Um, and so the, the, the issue then becomes it's actually quite expensive to hire. Um, you know, there's not of property, so it's expensive to move people. Um, so actually, if you can avoid uh, moving people over, you're probably in a better position. And I guess, um, I know you don't practice Irish law now, but Clearly, Ireland, a key center, also an old friend of the uh, of the American managers. Do you see that as potentially taking on some of the work you might have traditionally done in Luxembourg? Um, yeah, well, you know, the big the big thing at the moment is obviously the ILP, um, and I, you know, I've been watching the webinars on it with uh, with keen interest, and you know, we maintain a very good health sort healthy level of competition between Luxembourg and Ireland. And obviously there's lots of crossover between vehicles. You often have multi-jurisdictional elements. So the, I certainly think not necessarily day one, but there's clearly a huge, um, a huge opportunity for the Irish markets to now have the ILP um, because, you know, I think there is, you know, generally speaking, there's a closer affinity between North American managers and Ireland. Um, than there is between North American managers and Luxembourg, you know, because frankly, I think there are quite a few, old-fashioned perception issues that Luxembourg have, which are frankly outdated in terms of language barriers and, and service levels and the CSSF. Um, and part of my job is obviously is to combat those. But where 
I don't get the opportunity to tell people that it's, you know, actually it's a very user-friendly jurisdiction. Um, I've got no doubt that they'll go to Ireland. But of course, the problem you have, is, as you always would, is there's not necessarily any first mover advantage. You know, if I'm a if I'm an institutional uh, sort of grade private equity manager, uh, and I think, right, well, let's, you know, we're going to do our fund fund four uh, and funds one, two, and three were in Luxembourg, and now we're doing fund four. And then my investors come in and say, well, why have you moved? You know, what's the objective justification? Um, and I think, I mean, you know, I sort of, picked away on the ILP and there are advantages. You know, I think a quaith, a quaith has a has a greater level of regulation for what's better phrase, it's considered regulated uh, versus a wraith, which isn't. Um, so you have the quaith which you could get away in sort of theoretically in 24 hours, although I know that they you know often take longer. Um, so you would have in theory a vehicle that you can get away uh, as a as an Irish limited partnership, potentially quicker than a Luxembourg SIF, for example. So there is, an, you know, there is clearly a use case there. The flip side is you can only use them for regulated partnerships. So, you know, frankly, I see more uh, limited partnerships that are unregulated. So, frankly, we're never going to, you know, I can't see why we would lose that work um, because you can't do an unregulated partnership in, in Ireland, essentially. Um, so it's a good thing and obviously the competition is healthy um i don't I, you know i don't see any reason frankly otherwise why you wouldn't why you'd have any issues you know the service providers will be immediately yeah. equipped to deal with these things because they're yeah. all multi-jurisdictional anyway so uh, yeah it's a, it's a very interesting interesting time um you know we maintain a healthy competition uh, <laughs> <laughs> you must be torn with your 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 practicing history uh, in between the two jurisdictions um in terms of the uh or related to that any fund structuring or, or capital raising trends that you've noticed that would be interesting um i mean i think it's it's an interesting one i think what we've what we've seen is and we you know of course we're a, a slightly smaller firm so we don't necessarily have a a true uh, you know overview of the whole market but i certainly think that's you know, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of larger managers seemed pretty unaffected by COVID. And there was a lot of significant capital raising. I think smaller managers have certainly struggled. Um, and, you know, it's been it's been a, a very challenging environment. So everything's been slowed down, you know, for everybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, there is still appetite. Um, we I mean, my background was always on the more liquid side. Um, but I've sort of, I think, quite naturally rotated into more VC. And I see that, you know, I see that coming up as a sort of common theme amongst the UK lawyers that I speak to as well. So is is that, it's hard to say whether that is a, a capital flow trend or simply a numbers trend in sort of new launches and where, where people are. Um, but we see a lot um, of, of very varied stuff. You know, we're seeing inevitably we're seeing a few bits and bobs on the crypto side at the moment. Um, and that in itself, that has its own challenges because there are no, you know, as far as I'm aware, uh, we haven't seen any depositories that can deal with the crypto challenge. Um, so, and, and that, that, that's a good example yeah, of that no, situation. No, of yeah. You end up with an unregulated, yeah, of course. But then that forces you towards this point around having an unregulated vehicle. Um, but there aren't a huge amounts of sort of crypto type products in Luxembourg yet. 
um you know everyone yeah. has their has their own view on that i don't really feel that we're missing out um because it's a whole other world that you've got to then consider the technical uh well, cri- crypto and, and cannabis funds as well we, we've we've obviously um uh, we've we've done quite a lot of crypto work here uh in the uk both on the due diligence and compliance side and also some of the work on uh, cannabis but all of that i think is a little bit um advanced for jurisdictions like potentially luxembourg where you know there's a there's a greater conservatism let's say um, yeah i think that's fair and it actually is not just is even some of the more old-fashioned stuff you know i have had a you know we have people coming along quite frequently with sort of real asset type, non, non-real estate real asset type funds. So it could be anything sort of collectibles, cars, arts, whatever it may be. And again, there are similar, you know, the sort of operational challenges of those tend to sort of push people away, whether it be to a, you know, sort of a, you know, the Channel Islands or, or, or alternatively to a different type of vehicle. Or Gibraltar, uh, I heard as well, was quite uh, dynamic or trying to be dynamic on some of these areas, including with depositories. Yeah, I, it's quite specific. I don't, yeah, that is. I mean, we don't. Yeah, I've I've not knowingly lost anything to Gibraltar, but uh, so um, yeah, it's it tends to be Channel Islands. Um, yeah, and I and and to be fair, the occasional project goes to you know if it's been something like you use it, it's, it's, if it hasn't come to Luxembourg, it's gone to Ireland. So we don't tend to see some of the you know sort of smaller. Yeah. Yeah. jurisdictions okay and perhaps last question as we wrap up but um we we're talking about travel earlier on covid obviously has put a massive uh stop to that how do you see the future when it comes to traveling good oh god uh um I, hard to say i mean you know as we, we were sort of joking before i possibly i mean i haven't been back to luxembourg since january last year and i'm i'm it's it's super frustrating um, but obviously things should open up. Uh, I mean, clearly the nature of working has changed. Um, and, and it, it, you know, it comes at a time where people are a lot more cost sensitive and environmentally sensitive anyway. So I can see no doubt that the amounts of business travel will reduce, but I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that there are an awful lot of people who are itching to get on a plane or to get away from wherever they are. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe it'll be a callback, um, but who knows? Yeah. yeah, no, that's really good, really good, really good to have your take on that, especially between you know, being between two jurisdictions as you are. Okay, well, look, thank you so much, Mark Shaw. Great to have you on the show, and speak to you soon. Thanks, Jerome. Yeah. Have a great day. Cheers. Thank you.